This is the Power of Genetics podcast, the podcast designed to help visionary practitioners build a more successful practice, transform more lives, and lead their patients into the future of personalized health. In each episode, I'll interview successful practitioners and leading thought leaders who will share their insights and expertise to help you prepare your practice for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Yael Jaffe, and now let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Power of Genetics podcast. I have an exceptional guest joining me today, Dr. Terry Wells. I'm sure many of you have encountered Dr. Wells before and have heard her speak, but I am lucky enough to have her join me today. So thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Oh, thank you for having me. Right. Well, we are going to jump straight in. So what I usually do, instead of reading off some bio of a piece of paper, which doesn't really do anything to to tell of the extraordinary journey of the guests that I have, I'm going to ask Dr. Wells just to introduce herself, a little bit about her background, her journey, and where we find, find you now in the world of medicine. Okay. So, you know, 20 years ago, I developed weakness in my left leg and saw my neurologist who says, you know, this could be bad or really bad. At that point, I'm thinking about my zingers because I have trigeminal neuralgia and I already had that for seven years. And I soon find out I have multiple sclerosis. You know, being a professor, I see the best people, take the newest drugs. Within three years, I'm at a recline wheelchair. I uh, go back to reading the basic science, which I'm sure you love. And I begin experimenting on myself. The speed of my decline slows. I'm quite thrilled, but I'm still declining. I discover electrical stimulation of muscles. I convince my physical therapist, let me add that. I uh, redesign my paleo diet based on all the science that I've learned and the, the Institute of Functional Medicine course on neuroprotection that I just took. And so I have, have more supplements. And, and as I said, I redesigned my diet and that's when, you know, the magic happens. I get stronger. My, my pain is finally gone. My fatigue is gone. My mental clarity improves. And my physical therapist says, oh my God, Terry, you're getting stronger. He asked me uh, lifting weights. And then I, I'm walking without a cane. Uh, and this is remarkable because I'd spent four years in a recline wheelchair, unable to sit up. So dramatic difference. A couple months later, I get on my bike for the first time. Six months after that, I do an 18.5-mile bike ride. And this course changes the way I practice medicine. I focus more and more on these, on diet and lifestyle, less and less on drugs. My partners complain. I get hauled in to the chief of staff office and says, Terry, what's going on? People are, are, are really upset with you. Now, fortunately, I brought with me an armful of scientific papers, and I went through them. And so I won him over. And I actually had to have the same conversation at the university with the chief of medicine, and I won him over. And they wanted me to shift my research, which had been secondary data analyses, to do in clinical trials, testing my protocol and others. The first study we did was a safety and feasibility study to show could other people with progressive MS actually do what I had done. And they could, and we had remarkable improvement in quality of life, reduction in fatigue, improvement in mental clarity, improvement in mood. And half of our folks, now mind you, with progressive MS, you expect a relentless decline, 10 to 20% every year at every measure. These folks had improved hand function, improved walking. So half did, uh, truly remarkable. Then we started doing some small pilot studies and they were consistently positive. 
Then we got funding from the MS Society for a much bigger study that was a parallel arm, Swank diet versus Walls diet. We had an observation period for 12 weeks, randomized them, put them in these two diets, followed them again for quality of life, fatigue, and some motor outcomes. We've analyzed that data. We have our primary outcomes paper, and we're in the copy editing process with our journals. So hopefully in the very near future, that will be out, and that will be like so, so exciting. The other thing that happened in all of this, because it changed the way I practiced primary care in my traumatic brain injury clinic, and I started having extraordinary results. I was pulled out of primary care, and the VA had me create a new clinic, the we called the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic, where I could do functional medicine with a couple caveats. No fancy testing, <laughs> uh, no fancy okay. supplements. So I have a dietitian work with me. Uh, I had some health behavior psychologists work with me. And I go to primary care, specialty medicine, mental health, and the pain clinic. And I say, give me your most difficult cases. I'm, <laughs> okay. uh, you're going to manage the drugs and we'll work with them. And we got just a handful. Then we turned them around. And then we got more and more. And then, we, and then the floodgates opened. And then I, I started adding staff. You know, the beauty of all of that was now at the time, you know, I was learning functional medicine. I learned about all these really neat tests and more advanced supplements that would have been really fun to use, but I couldn't use them in the VA. And I was sort of annoyed about all of that. But now I am immensely grateful because what it taught me was I could have extraordinary results in a VA system. And actually, I had extraordinary results when I only got was 20 minutes twice a year with folks. Then when I got to have a, a, you know more time, and still, then I could add a few basic labs like lipids, glucose, A1C, homocysteine, uh, highly sensitive CRP, and that that you know, and I was thrilled. It's like you know, I could finally get labs, and my supplements were fish oil and B vitamins. Wow, that was it. That's all. That's all. And, but what I had was inspiration, hope, possibility, education, and we could help people make steady progress at changing their lives. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm, I'm giving presentations to the pain clinic uh, in medicine every quarter, and then to the chief of staff every quarter, then to the hospital administrator every quarter, because, you know, the VA is, is lovely because we have electronic medical records so they could see mm. in my clinic, the A1Cs are improving, the blood pressures are improving, weight's going down, and the medication utilization is going down, down, including including narcotics. Interesting. Yeah. That's and so beautifully summarized because I know your journey has been a very long one with a lot more detail. So thank you for putting it into context so well. And there were so many questions that were coming to mind. So there were two that, that I really do want to ask. So my background is I started as a dietitian with Perfect. a great disillusionment and disappointment. It's a horrible degree. It was to, uh, 35 years ago or so, but a really bad experience. I dreamed nutrition to be and, and what I was looking for, which was really about health and so I finished the degree, but no kind of sense of achievement or feeling like I was equipped in any way to help anyone. And my journey led me down a different road, which was finding genetics and then understanding the role genetics played. But while you were talking, I mean, I was, this is a nutrition conversation yes. and it's a food and it's a food conversation. And I was thinking of this extraordinary difference between what I was taught as a dietitian 
and the conversation that you're having. So what I would love to hear from you, because I work with some extraordinary dietitians, really magnificent. Mm -hmm. They're usually functional medicine or functional nutrition dietitians, but they're incredible. But the fundamental paradigm of dietetics has not changed so much from when I studied. So I wanted to ask your opinion on what is this? Because I have a sense for myself what the difference is between what I was taught that was so unsatisfactory and what we're doing now, what you're doing now. But I would love to get your opinion on where has dietetics gone wrong that where all the answers were sitting in food and nutrition, we weren't as a profession able to provide. Well, you know, I, I think medicine went wrong the same way too. Uh, you know, we, we had the transformation with drugs and we forgot about diet and lifestyle and focused on the magic cure because that would be easier. And then the food in dietetics, when it got established, connected with the U.S., uh, Department of Agriculture, we started getting a uh, conflict of interest introduced. And then the dietetics profession started having corporate sponsorships, which further adds the conflict of interest. And now we have the problem with dietary guidelines and the committee having a conflict of interest. And I know individuals who are on the committee, the scientific advisory panel, and they do you know a very thoughtful job, have their recommendations, and then their recommendations are not followed, and so they're uh, deeply frustrated. And yet, I, I will acknowledge that the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, if people followed that, would definitely be much better than the standard than what we, that, that, than, that we're doing. So, yeah. And they have some great resources, and we actually use their resources in our clinical research. So we, ha- we have those constraints. However, for people like yourself and myself, we realize, okay, so that, that is an improvement. We could go so much further. Mm. And well, I, I study dietary patterns. And of course, you know, the, the pattern that I think is the most effective is the modified paleo, the, the walls pattern. But you know, there are other patterns, Mediterranean, ketogenic, fasting patterns that are also helpful. And I do think that in my clinical practice, I work very closely with the family to say, okay, I want to have a dietary pattern that you and your family are excited about and can implement because the pattern that you can implement 100% is way better than the best pattern you implement at only 50%. So let's figure out what your uh, personal mission, vision, what you want to do, why, what you want your health for. So you're, you're motivated to, to do some work. And then what you as a family could 100% do. And that might be fine to do this step by step by step with incremental changes that you can do at 100%. And that will be in over time, as you experience these transformations, you may decide that you want to take the next nutritional step. You know, for the people who have a lot of resources, and I have folks in my clinical practice who have no resources and we work with that. And then I have people who have way more money than time and they want to investigate and understand fully. And so those folks, I may do more functional medicine testing. And then we can tell them with great precision, based on your genetics and your microbiome and your health issues, this will be the dietary changes that I think would be most healing for you. 
Or for my person who doesn't have any money, we start incremental with what they can succeed at, assess how they respond. And over time, I'll probably get to the same diet that I would have with lots of investigation and monetary resources, uh, but it would have probably taken me a couple of years to be able to identify for them what that most healing diet is. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of find the pattern. So identifying patterns is almost like, I remember Tom Blue talking about like cluster personalization, where this idea of precision medicine, personalized, I mean, it's it's the ideal, but it's not a reality for, for most. It's, it, it, and if you think about transforming the health of the world, that's not possible. You it's can only possible. do precision medicine for people who have tremendous amount of resources. Have resources, right. The medicine that I learned how to practice in the VA that's the medicine that is transformational for the world. It, and, you know, actually, that's what I teach practitioners in my program, that if, if you want to have the precision medicine stuff, you know, go down AFRAM, IFRAM, you're going to get all of that. But if you want to know how to inspire people to make these changes, and if you want to know how to do this in your current conventional medicine world, then come work with me because I'll teach you how to do that stuff. That's amazingly powerful because... I work with a lot of people in the functional world and the functional world is definitely pushing them towards N of one. But then there's so many limitations in terms of impact of how we're actually getting out and changing healthcare. So you have actually finding a solution further back from that. Yeah. That uh, approach, that precision medicine, very intensive testing, high cost supplements is very antagonistic towards academic centers. Because we look at that, like that's Mm -hmm. not generalizable. It's not been validated. And so there's a lot of uh, pushback in the academic world. On the other hand, if we look at at the approaches that I take and use, which is, you know, some basic testing and then modifiable lifestyle factors and assessing individual response, that actually uh, is being much more accepted. And I think that will be transformational. It would still allow us for the person who's not responding as quickly as you would like to investigate yeah. and then do the more precise intervention. But if we're going to you know, change the health of this country, it's not going to be $20,000 workup for every person. No, no, it's or not. even a five thousand dollar workup for every person. No, but no. it could be the kind of basic primary care workup that I talked about and that, and that I teach that then helps the person identify. Okay, so we clearly have an inflammatory pattern, a metabolic disturbance. We're going to have to work on diet and lifestyle. Let's find achievable interventions that you, as a family, can do. Uh, and I'm sure that you're, you're on, on top of, we have to find next steps that people could actually do. So at the end of the conversation, I say, okay, so what'd you learn? What are you going to do? I know what they learned that that was an effective teacher and that we came up with a plan that the, my patient and their family are confident they could actually do. Because if I tell them there's no value, otherwise, right, it's if I data. tell them the perfect there's plan no and, they, yeah. and they go home and say, well, there's no way in hell we can do that. I didn't serve exactly. them at all. Not at all. I mean, we do have that conversation in the world of genetics as well. It's like, if it's just data, there's no value. If it, it doesn't offer you, the practitioner, something, a valuable insight that can help you make better decisions. And if it doesn't help the patient make better decisions on what to have for breakfast, they're buying data. And it doesn't matter whether that data is nine ninety nine 
or 999, we're still giving them data. And it's the same thing. It's if, if it's not doable, if there's no value in terms of what are the decisions, the micro decisions I'm going to make my day, then we're not serving. So um, I don't want to forget my other question before. So when you were talking about your journey, all I could think about the word that kept on coming to mind is courage, courage and bravery. That, and I'm sure you've had this many times, but when you faced with something that doesn't fit with what you've been taught, with the standard of science around you, with what you're being told by practitioners, what is it? And I want you to think about what can we share with practitioners who are listening to this in terms of how do we give them the courage to challenge the paradigm that surrounds them that they grew up in, that they learned at the university, to be able to say there's a better or different way of doing things? So one of the things that I had to learn, and so when I had these conversations with my chief of staff and my chief of medicine, I won them over. They said, okay, Terry, it's clear you've got the science, but you can't be antagonizing, pissing people off like this. So you have to learn how to talk about it. So you... We're going to require you to go meet with Dr. Nisley, who runs the complementary alternative medicine clinic. And so what I learned there is to talk differently and make it very clear with my patients. I am working on creating more health. Your treating physicians will treat your disease. We are going to focus on creating a little better microenvironment for your cells. And then I don't know what will happen, but we'll have to watch you closely and adjust your medicines uh, if things change and you need a lower dose of meds and perhaps uh, simplify them. Uh, so we'll have to watch your blood pressure, your blood sugar really well, your pain and your mood and make these incremental step-by-step improvements on your wellness program. So then I would document that I am not treating chronic disease. I'm deferring that to their patients treating physicians. We're working on improving their self-care and wellness routine. And then monitoring so the patient does not become over-medicated. So when I shifted my language that way, it was fine. I wasn't creating conflict. I was reinforcing that, yes, uh, we need to treat their chronic disease. I would refer them to someone to take care of that. Uh, and I'd say, my practice is focused on self-care and wellness. And I will refer you to other providers in the VA system who will continue to manage your chronic disease. And I also put that in all of my public statements, say, I'm not trying to diagnose, treat, or prevent any disease. Keep working with your current practitioners to manage your chronic disease. We're going to help you improve your self-care and wellness. That's a message that people are going to be very comfortable with. As soon as they think I am treating their chronic disease with diet and lifestyle, that's not FDA approved. And that's going to get me into all sorts of problems with my license and with my community. And so, you know, that's another thing that that I spend a fair amount of time teaching in my certification program is you have to know how to talk about what it is you are doing in a way that supports the patient's healing journey, supports their uh, relationships with whoever's treating their chronic diseases and supports your relationships with all of those practitioners. Because if we get into a fight with them, we're going to lose. Okay. <laughs> we're we're going to lose. And furthermore, if you have a health-related license, you know, at least in my state, you can have an anonymous complaint against my license. And people can do that for all sorts of reasons. Then the state board of medical examiners will come audit my practice. 
And if they see that I am treating with non-FDA approved treatments, I could lose my license. And so when my chief of medicine, the chief of staff said, you're going to lose your license if you keep this up and we will not defend you because you know this is not appropriate. So that's why you need to go work with Dr. Nicely to learn how to do what you are doing safely for you and for your patients. And when they said you could lose your license, I was like, holy yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I and I stress that to my practitioners. We want you to do this stuff safely for your professional life and and for your patients. Uh, and if we teach you th- this way of talking about what you are doing, then you're not in conflict. Then you're in support. And what you'll likely experience is growing stature in your community, because. Even our conventional folks are recognizing, yes, we do want more wellness. We do want people to improve the quality of their diet. We do want them to exercise more. And we have more recognition that diet, exercise, stress, sleep are are parts of all that. But, you know, I'm too busy doing the drugs. I don't have time to do that. So if you you do that, great. And if you're not pissing on me. Uh, yeah. and, and talking smack about me, I'm going to mm. feel a whole lot better about sending my patients to you. Because I, you know, every- I think we should be teaching this at, uh, in all programs. What you just described, I don't think, I've never heard spoken. What you just described. Yes. You know, and so this really is, is, is the benefit of having my experience, you know, my, my recovery, being able to have my chief of staff and chief of medicine want me to succeed and then helping support teaching me like, okay, what I was doing was creating a hostile environment for me and I had to change. And fortunately for me, you know, they believed in me and said, okay, you know, go go learn how to do this. And once I learned and I realized, then I, I became respected, collaborative, safe. And so now, you know, 13 years later, you know, I am well respected uh, in the university. And I'm certainly even more respected in the MS community. Uh, and there are more neurologists who are like, you know, Terry is onto something. My message is, yes, stay with your neurologist. You need to sort out how you feel about the drugs, but we still have to have you do diet and lifestyle with the goal of, if everything goes well, to transition to a less potent disease modifying drug and then potentially no drug at all, depending on your clinical course. And now that the neurologists are understanding that is my message, I'm not being antagonistic, and that we all agree and want people on the safest, least toxic drugs. And functional yeah. medicine, uh, anti-aging restorative medicine is slowly, you know, I, I'm faculty for both those groups. And I've been suggesting a shift to their curriculum to address this messaging. And that's slowly coming around. But, you know, again, even with them, I'm mindful that organizations, the people are going to change at a pace they're comfortable with. So you can invite change, raise the question, and patiently wait. And keep inviting well, change, raise the question, <laughs> and patiently wait. I, I think this is such an important conversation. I didn't think we would go this to this place. But for me, who's someone who is always trying to, so with nutrigenomics, you know, try to bring it into a more mainstream education, education, education. If you're not going to use it, at least understand it. I think this is a lesson for me, you know, to think about how I have managed that conversation. You know, am I being adversary? Am I being antagonistic? 
or am I? Well, so I think I'm listening loud and clear <laughs> because I, I think this is you know, many of us really are initially. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we are initially because we're so excited. It's been so transformed. We want everyone to be doing this and it's hard to be patient enough. And I wasn't patient, but fortunately my, when my chief of staff and my chair of medicine said, Terry, you're going to lose your license if you keep this up. Yes. Paid attention. Okay. <laughs> I'm paying attention now. Wow. I'm paying well, attention now. All right. Well, I have something, you have given me something really good to think about is about how I'm managing my conversation with especially you know, it, the academic it, institutions that I'm working correct. with. If I were in your shoes, let me mention you here for a moment. So the first thing people do is, is my VA approach, diet, lifestyle, assess response. And then, you know, based on that, I can sort out who's, who's probably having difficulty with sulfur or not. And, and then I have to make some adjustments there. And then we can let people know like, okay, if you don't have time for that kind of more nuanced interaction, and people have the resources and want to have a shorter time to figure out what is the most therapeutic dietary intervention, we can shorten that with this kind of testing. Uh, and that's the conversation I have with my patients is, you know, it, it's up to you. Do you have more time than money? And if you've got more time than money, then this is the path we go down. Yeah. If you have more yeah. money than time, we can take a few then, shortcuts. Then, then we can do some shortcuts with more advanced testing. Yeah, and, and I think it does bring to my conversation of genetics, which has become my conversation on genetics has changed dramatically over 20 years. And it's become much more around having things in context, understanding the place of genetics. It's just a piece of information. It doesn't stand alone. It's building on everything that we always learn. So I think even my conversation around putting genetics into the context of who we are as practitioners, what else we learn, the journey we travel, and the journey of our patients, that for not every patient is it an option. And where yeah. it is, let's bring it in. But it doesn't define our practice. It's only a piece of information that adds to practice. How I see things evolving uh, is that, you know, we have the genetic information, we have the microbiome information. And then the next level of information that will be really very interesting and we're just beginning to understand is the metabolome, what's happening with the metabolites and how those are affected by our diet, our microbiome and our wellness practices. It will get continually more nuanced. I tell myself that I have to stay incredibly humble that, you know, I think I know the best dietary choices. I think I know the best microbiome, but you know, I could be wrong on all sorts of things. As we get more information from the gene expression, the RNA, these things will continue to evolve. I also try to think about our evolutionary history over millions of generations, millions of random mutations that got us all here that I, I try to always be thinking about the evolutionary history of fitness and what our environment was like for those millions of generations. I think like, okay, so what could I do with my self-care routine that's still enjoying all the comforts of modern life, but have a little more hormesis, have a little more light, have a little better circadian rhythm, have a little better social community time. That would also help me out, I bet, a lot. I love the evolutionary biology part of genetics. I talk about it a great deal, about this 
disconnect because that's what it is really it's mm-hmm. a disconnect between our biology our dna which is evolutionary and old and our current diet and lifestyle and there's this, yes. the clash our, between the two I, is where we so see I, I call that the problems the, the yeah. disconnect between our biologic evolution and our social evolution okay i'm gonna write because down. because because of our, our social evolution because we we communicate well we compete well and those have led to the development of business entities and communities. And then because as business entities are more successful by creating products that appear to our biologic evolution that drive pleasure and dopamine. So we create food products and experience products and compounds that are in conflict with our biologic evolution. Biologic evolution. Oh, that's a great And so how do we dial that back? How do we listen to the noise? The the challenge there is the evolution of our government systems have been co-opted by our uh, business interests. So they will not be very effective at regulating that, which means it's going to rely on entrepreneurs like yourself and myself to educate the public. Uh, And then there'll be two pronged approach. It'll come back down to the conversation uh, as we educate people. Do you have more time or do you have more money? If you have more time, it's going to be down the techniques that I learned at the VA. If you have more money and less time, it'll be down the more advanced testing. Yeah, it's a great balance. Well, I mean, I think we've landed in a place where we both connect your work and my work. And um, it sounds like we're in the same place and as it's, it's finding, I love your idea of how do you change almost your social environment to match a little bit closer to the biologic? And that's, I guess, where paleo comes into it to a large degree. Well, and for some people, they're ready to go paleo immediately. For others, they're not ready to make a dietary change. And we end up doing more in the stress reduction because that's really very interesting. I find sometimes People can't do anything with food yet, but they want to work on their meditative practice. They want to work in their sleep. And as their meditative practice reduces their stress, their sleep reduces their stress, their cytokines are probably down. Now it's easy for them to to come back and say, well, you know, actually I have been sort of improving my diet. Uh, And so now we do more dietary change. So I've become much more forgiving of Asking you know patients, okay, you know, we need to start. My choice, of course, is to have you start on diet. But you know, if that's not what you can do, there are other things you know yeah. with uh, stress and sleep we can do. Or it, I also make it very clear that there are people for whom you can't do it right now. Maybe your spouse is going through their cancer treatments, or your child is going through your child's cancer treatments, or your business is imploding. So people can have life events that preclude you're being able to really do self-care at this time. Or, or you just don't, yeah. you're just not comfortable with this, but come back when you are, because when you are, I don't want to waste your time. We have a lot, lot of people try, that are trying to work with us. I just want to be sure you're interested you're ready. and ready to yeah. do the work. So I don't argue with my patients. I make it very easy for them to say, nope, uh, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. Because then they'll be successful. If I have to argue with them, they're not going to be successful. We'll have that conversation in my office, then they'll leave my office and say, what the hell, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, And so I always try to make it very easy for my patients to disagree, say, no, I don't really want to do it. So that when they walk out, there's a chance 
that whatever it is they told me that they're going to do, that they have a very high probability they can do it. Of success. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to start tying up. I just, I'm going to start, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to make a comment about two things that I've taken away from today for me personally. So I've been watching your work for a very long time. And as I say, I've heard you speak. I've been lucky enough to hear you speak many times. I've really been following your work for a very long time. I know your protocols, everything, but that's not actually what I got out of today. And so, well, I think your work is extraordinary. What I'm really taking home for me is two things. The first is our conversation around it's not black and white. This is not a binary conversation about what we do and what they do and how if we really want to bring success, we have to find a way to bring it into the conversation and listen to how we talk about it and we speak about it to both our colleagues and our patients in order to gain trust, gain credibility and and have success. But my second thing I'm taking home is your extraordinary empathy for your patients. And so when you look at your protocols and I look at them, they're quite tough to follow from a normal standard American diet. They really are. They, Mm -hmm. even for those of us who are kind of functional nutritionists, they're pretty out there in terms of really needing a lot of commitment to eating, making really good decisions. When I, I was going to talk to you today, I kind of had that in mind. But what I'm hearing is not that at all. What I'm hearing is this extraordinary empathy for your patients to meet them where they are, Mm -hmm. to allow them to make the decisions they can possibly make along this very long journey, which may be longer for some, shorter for others, that every decision is supported no matter where they start. And I think that whether we talk about MS or anything, this is an incredibly powerful message. You know, when I when I first launched my uh, lifestyle clinic, I'd do a little presentation and invite people to come work with us. You know, and about half the folks would come work with us and about half would say like, hell no, that's like quite too hard. And then three and a half years later, when I'd gotten a lot better at this and I made the decision to retire from the VA, we were at a point where 90% of the folks who came to our introductory lecture would sign up and would be committed to working closely with us for the next six months. And part of that was I became much more adept at storytelling, more adept at telling uh, the stories of other vets that people could relate to. People were probably more familiar with us. I also think the referring physicians uh, probably did a little better job of saying they really have some extraordinary results. You really ought to try this for six months. But yes, start where you're at. Make it incredibly easy for patients to say, I'm not yet ready. And because since I couldn't test, I mean, I I see a lot of functional medicine practitioners think that testing will convince people to do hard things. My approach, because I I couldn't test, was people had to be truly ready. I could tell a story, create inspiration, teach the mechanisms, sick understanding, and then invite them. They're either ready to go on this journey with us, or it's not quite the right time. And we're very gentle with, you know, if it's not the right time, that's fine. I just to have your physician send you back to send another consult when you think it is the right time. I think that's a incredibly helpful tool. It'll, it will save your patients a lot of grief. It will save you and your staff an immense amount of grief. Great. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful place to end. And as I say, I've, I really enjoyed our conversation today. I have gained personally so much to think about and it's a, an absolute delight meeting you in person and hearing what you're sharing with me. So Thank you so much.
come get certified. You'll, you'll get me for about 35 hours. It'd be so much fun. Where is it? Tell us, where is that? So, what is, so just quickly that, tell us, what is the certification yeah. program? So uh, we have an online certification program supplemented by some group classes that we teach via Zoom uh, as well. Uh, and then there is a test that you have to pass, of course. And then we have monthly support calls where I go through cases and questions and you have access to that for the year. We have dietitians, health coaches, physicians, okay. people with a health-related certificate or license can come get certified. And the public can take the class, but they can't take the test. Can't take the test. Oh, that's... Yeah, yeah. That's, that's uh, another thing. From, that's great. Okay. Yeah. I love so, that. Where do we find is, you? Tell us where to go. Where oh, yeah. is this? Uh, cherrywalls.com. Okay. So T-E-R-Y walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. And then forward slash certification tells you about the certification. And keep in mind, this is not about how to do the testing because you're going to learn that with IFM or A4M. This is about evolutionary biology, about how we create inspiration and hope and possibility. And then for, for those who've not been ex- exposed to functional medicine or IFM, uh, A4M, you'll, you'll learn that at a very basic level. But this is really about how to have the kind of practice that I learned how to have at at the VA and how to interact with your colleagues so that they're going to feel pretty excited about the work that you do as opposed to threatened. Brilliant. So it's all the things we've been talking about. All the things that we've been talking about. Yeah. You you get it over uh, 17 different lectures. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to be going over there. I didn't even know about it. I'll be honest. And I am definitely, because those are exactly the things that resonated with me. So thank you very much for joining us today. And I look forward to when we'll be seeing each other in person at conferences in the near future. Sounds wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Power of Genetics podcast brought to you by 3x4 Genetics. For more episodes, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash podcast. And if you are a licensed health practitioner who would like to apply to join our network of over 1,000 like-minded visionary practitioners, please visit 3x4genetics.com slash apply.